It's Monday, May 10th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Supply continues to outweigh demand for the coronavirus vaccine, as some states are beginning to order fewer doses than what they're supposed to be allotted. The Biden administration has a goal of 70% of adults vaccinated by July 4th, but only about 57% of adults have received at least one shot so far. Also, in an effort to get people back in the workforce, some states are rolling back enhanced unemployment benefits. Some governors argue that the extra money is keeping people from going back to work. Ginger Gibson, deputy Washington digital editor at NBC News, joins us for this and the upcoming vote to remove Representative Liz Cheney from her Republican leadership post. Next, famed TV artist Bob Ross is one of history's most prolific painters, racking up almost 30,000 paintings in his lifetime. But you'd be hard-pressed to find one of his original works in the open market. There are a few reasons why you might not find these paintings being sold. First off, Bob Ross Inc., which owns the majority of his work, has them locked away in a warehouse. But they make more money selling paints and painting supplies using his name. Secondly, many of his paintings are already sitting in homes across the country. Zach Crockett, senior writer at The Hustle, joins us for why it's so hard to find an original Bob Ross painting. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. All of us are getting fully vaccinated and continuing our prevention efforts can help us turn the corner on the pandemic as early as July and set us forward on a path toward a more normal lifestyle. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. Let's start this week with some COVID updates and uh, we're trying to get as many people vaccinated as possible, but we're starting to see some states scale back on the vaccine orders as demand continues to slide. So we're looking at hundreds of thousands of doses just this week alone that aren't being ordered by some states all across the country. And we have about 57% of the adult population that has about uh, that has at least one dose of uh, one of the vaccines. So we're just starting to see this kind of slide going on right now. Yeah, we've really reached the point in this vaccination period where we've gone from people wanting the vaccine and unable to get it to people having it. It's available. They could walk in many places and not going to get it. And I think we're going to see a real shift in the way that people are talking about the vaccine, trying to encourage those who might be a little reluctant or hesitant to go ahead and do it. I think it's important to note that so many people have received the vaccine and that the FDA continues to take any issues really seriously. And they're going to be a lot of impressing that fact upon people. If there was an issue, if there was widespread issues, we would have seen it given how many millions of people have had it. And so that kind of pressure is going to get increased and the availability is going to become even more readily available. I I was at the shopping mall yesterday. You could walk into a store they had set up and get a vaccine. (laughs) Uh, I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Just to, just to kind of uh, put some numbers to it, Wisconsin asked for 8% of their allotted doses, Iowa 29%, Kansas 9% of their allotted doses for, for this coming week. And, and, you know, that demand can change as time goes by. But, you know, you're right with the posture of, of trying to get as many people vaccinated. The administration wants 70% of adults by July 4th. Who knows if we'll get there? And in the meantime, they're starting to try to give out incentives to young people, $100 in West Virginia just to get your vaccine, uh, uh, just a bunch of different programs. 
the Atlanta Braves are going to give you baseball tickets if you get vaccinated while you're at a game. Uh, the Yankees and the Mets are going to give vaccines out uh, in their stadium. I mean, we're going to see a lot of creative ways, I think, right. in the coming weeks. Still on the pandemic, but more toward the economy, we're trying to get more people back to work. We're in this pickle right now where businesses are trying to hire people in a lot of cases, and there's just not enough people that are applying for those jobs. So what we're seeing with some GOP governors across the country, I think so far uh, we're seeing it in Arkansas, Montana, and South Carolina, is that they're starting to scale back those uh, enhanced unemployment benefits, that extra $300 that you're getting. They're taking that away in hopes to force people back into the workforce. Yeah, we're really watching the economy start to wake back up. And we saw the jobs numbers on Friday were really much lower in April than we thought they were going to be. Economists were really disappointed in those numbers. And you mentioned taking those unemployment benefits away. There's some criticism that those boosted unemployment benefits are keeping people at home who wouldn't make as much money if they went back at minimum wage. I mean, when you think about the number $7.25 an hour makes you $290 a week, and those are $300 boosted unemployment benefits. So that's the minimum. But I think we're going to see a lot of these two things hand in hand get the vaccine, go back to work, uh, get the vaccine. Have customers at your work that want to see you there. And so the coupling of those things is going to be a lot of pressure, I think, to get the economy really moving as as we get into the summer. There's going to be a vote this week on whether to strip Liz Cheney of her leadership position there. She's the number three Republican. Uh, by all accounts, it seems like they probably will remove her from that post. It just shows how very much in power the president is, uh, former president still is, and all his allies willing to clear the pathway for him. No opposition there in their party. That's right. We have a great story up this Monday morning from two of my colleagues on NBCNews.com looking at what this fight with Liz Cheney means for the Republican Party. It's really telling and it shows the grip that Donald Trump still has. And it appears that Republicans like Kevin McCarthy, like Steve Scalise, two of the top Republicans in the House Republican caucus, have made a decision that they're better off in the midterms with Donald Trump than without him, even though he lost reelection. And let's be clear, Trump wants it that way, too, regardless of what he decides to do in 2024. If he runs again, if he doesn't, he wants to be the one in control. He wants to have the power and he wants to be controlling the Republican Party. And it looks like the party is going to go along with that, at least for the time being, by continuing to sort of adhere to him as the as the focal point. Senator Lindsey Graham was uh, doing some media rounds and said that the party can't grow without Trump. And, you know, just from top to bottom, when it comes to fundraising, policy issues, just everything, it really seems like they're still leaving President Trump in charge there. So we'll see how all that goes. That vote's coming on Wednesday, and we'll see. And and, and the, the person that seems poised to take over that position is Representative Elise Stefanik. She kind of uh, made her name, you know, speaking out uh, during the impeachment trial. Uh, she's helped a lot of Republican women come into Congress. So uh, what do we know about her? Yeah, you know, she's a representative from New York came into office pretty moderate. She's taken a number of votes outside of her party. And I think that really speaks to this moment in the Republican Party. The most signature Republican bill to pass Congress in the last 5, 10, 15 years maybe was the 2017 tax bill. Liz Cheney voted for that tax bill. Uh, Elise Stefanak voted against it. 
really seeing a party that is getting away from sort of the ideological litmus test and applying a litmus test about do you support Donald Trump? Did you support his efforts to overturn the election? And do you think you could still run the party? Yeah, they've done voting comparisons and Liz Cheney uh, votes far more conservative than uh, Representative Stefanik. And it's really just comes down to President Trump on this issue. So uh, just an interesting one to watch there. And then finally, uh, just because we're going to be hearing about this a lot this coming week, there was a ransomware attack that shut down the Colonial Pipeline. Uh, This is the main fuel supply line in the East Coast. They provide nearly half of the gas, diesel, and jet fuel to the East Coast. They think this ransomware attack was done by some uh, gang called Darkseid, not a nation-state attack. Uh, But still... Prices are going to go up and it's kind of a uh, uh, crippling for the moment right now. Yes, as we head to summer, as people start to try to travel more either by car or by plane now, uh, we really do risk seeing the price of fuel, gasoline, jet fuel going up because of this. And let's be clear, any cyber attack, it's going to be difficult and can be near impossible to tell who was behind it, whether it was individual actors, whether it was a state, whether it was a state looking like individual actors, which are never really going to know if someone doesn't personally take responsibility for it. And regardless, I think this is a, a reminder that our infrastructure, that the things that we rely on to get our country moving to exist, to function, as at risk all the time from these type of cyber attacks. And that we as a nation are going to have to be diligent that attacks aren't cruise missiles stationed in another country. They're, they're you know, lurking on the Internet uh, and that that's a real danger. Ginger Gibson, Deputy Washington Digital Editor at NBC News. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Long before his TV career, he was selling paintings at flea markets in Alaska. And all through his career, even when he was famous, he'd do these events at malls and training sessions where he do these live paintings and either give them away or donate them. Joining us now is Zach Crockett, senior writer at The Hustle. Thanks for joining us, Zach. Thanks for having me. I'm going to talk about a fun story you wrote about Bob Ross, the TV artist who was hosting The Joy of Painting for a number of years on PBS. I mean, everybody knows him. Everybody loves him. Uh, happy little trees, happy little clouds. Myself, personally, I watched him when I was a, when I was a child. Is just so calming and really a great artist, famous for all his landscapes that he would paint. But you wrote an article about how Bob Ross paintings have become a really coveted investment. It's almost impossible to buy an original Bob Ross painting. And there's a lot of reasons that go into that. But start us off by telling us how many paintings he did over the course of his life. And then we'll get into kind of all the other fun stuff. You know, there's been an estimate that's thrown out by a lot of credible people in the Bob Ross space that he churned out about 30,000 paintings in his lifetime. Wow. Now, he painted about 1,100, 1,200 paintings for his TV show. And for each show, he'd do three versions. He'd mock one up before the show. He'd paint one during the show. And then he'd do one afterwards. But then outside of that, long before his TV career, he was selling paintings at flea markets in Alaska And all through his career, even when he was famous, he'd do these events at malls and training sessions where he'd do these live paintings and either give them away or donate them. Let's start off with Bob Ross and and his life. Personally, I had no clue that he had joined the Air Force and that he was actually a drill sergeant, which totally doesn't match (laughs) his really calm demeanor on the show. I guess they used to call him Bust Him Up Bobby. Yeah, I think a lot of people are surprised by that. So 
Bob was born in 1942 in Florida. He dropped out of school in the ninth grade, and his dad was a carpenter, so he worked with his dad for a while. And then he ended up in the Air Force in Alaska, and he worked his 20, for 20 years as a drill sergeant. And when he was out there in Alaska in these desolate kind of landscapes, he discovered painting and fell in love with it. So he retired. He moved to Florida in the 80s, and he studied under this famous TV painter named Bill Alexander, who was kind of his contemporary this crazy guy on, on public television. And he took one of the guy's classes and became something of an apprentice. And one of his students named Annette Kowalski was mesmerized by Bob Ross. And she convinced him to kind of strike out on his own. So they pulled together their money and they launched this company called Bob Ross Inc. And they kind of set out to make Bob Ross a TV star. And eventually a PBS executive got wind of Bob Ross and gave him a shot. And The Joy of Painting aired between 1983 and 1994. It was a huge hit. It was on like 300 stations, and it was broadcast to 80 million people a day. And you mentioned Bob Ross, Inc., so the kind of company that they started. Really, that became the moneymaker, not necessarily these paintings or anything like that, but all the stuff, the intellectual property of that, because they sell paints and paintbrushes and all that. And that really was the business driver right there. Yeah, it's funny. Even today, you go online, you can find so much Bob Ross stuff, man. It's like paints, brushes, Bob Ross underwear, Bob Ross coffee mugs, energy drinks, watches, toasters. And for Bob Ross Inc., the paintings were kind of always an afterthought. The main value add for them was capitalizing on his image and spreading his, his kind of gospel of making painting accessible to everyone. It was a very profitable company. It was grossing around $15 million by 1991. But the paintings, they just went into storage and they sat around for a long time in cardboard boxes and they didn't really know exactly what to do with them. And even today, they have this small kind of office complex in Northern Virginia. And if you go in there, there's just a bunch of Bob Ross paintings sitting around. And for the most part, they're not very utilized. They're probably worth millions. And, uh, you know, if they ever want Mm -hmm. to sell them, they could. But that's not necessarily the plan right now. So they hold a lot of them. But what happened to all those other, right, the, the 30,000 total, you know, what happened to all those? Mm-hmm. And, and I love the way you write it up in the story. And it's just so true. As he would give them away, they'd auction them off locally. A lot of these Bob Ross originals, right, are sitting in people's homes or in people's storage. They may not know, but they're just kind of out there. And that's where they're at currently. But in the open market to, you know, as a, as a, to sell them on the mm-hmm. art platform, you know, they're not really in wide circulation. So about 1,165 Bob Ross originals are at Bob Ross Inc. And they're just kind of sitting there. On occasion, they'll loan them out to various exhibits around the country. There's a couple at the Smithsonian right now. They're not on view, but they're in the archive. There's an exhibit in Muncie, Indiana. There's one in Florida. But like you said, the shocking thing is that you know, outside of Bob Ross's TV work, he just was very generous during his lifetime. He had a lot of fans and most of the people who bought his painting were just like working class Americans, you know, living in the middle of America. And they picked these up for 40, 50, 60 dollars and kind of just thought they were a nice, pretty painting to hang on their wall. They're hanging in bathrooms and living rooms and hallways and until recently, I don't think many people knew what they had on their hands, but when they do pop up on the open market, it's not uncommon to see them fetch more than $10,000. There's currently one at an auction house online for $94,000. So 
it can be quite a uh, tasty investment for the people who got in early. <laughs> you have a a great story about a man named Larry Walton who bought mm. a Bob Ross painting for 60 bucks. I think this was in, El in Alaska. Tell us that story because he went through the process of actually turning it over to an art dealer. That art dealer ended up selling it for even more money. So tell us that story because that's just kind of a, an interesting ride for a Bob Ross painting and for somebody that might have one, it's something that you could probably do too. A great story that illustrates the, the types of folks who own these paintings today is this guy, Larry Walton. He's 82 now and he lives in Minnesota. And back in 1980, he was working as a flight instructor in Alaska. And uh, he saw this guy who he described as a peculiar artist and at an Anchorage fair selling his paintings. And he bought this scene with like mountains and northern blue northern lights for $60. And it literally just it sat in his garage for years and years and years. And his son, who had seen Bob Ross's YouTube videos, saw the signature in the corner and thought it looked familiar. So they eventually realized it was a Bob Ross original. They reached out to this auction and art gallery named Modern Artifacts. They're a dealer based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And they're actually kind of the premier Bob Ross reseller. So they've put a lot of work into like SEO and newspaper advertisements to dig up these paintings. And they'll buy them for what I think is a pretty fair price. I think in, in this case, they gave Larry Walton $10,000 for his painting. The gallery owner took it and flipped it for $18,500 to another Bob Ross buyer. But over the years, Modern Artifact has come across dozens of Bob Ross paintings and uh, made a, a pretty good business out of reselling them online to people who aren't able to find them anywhere else. Right. I think you mentioned in the article that they sold at least 34 Bob Ross paintings over the mm -hmm. years. And obviously, these landscapes, they're very simple. They're easily identifiable, obviously. They're, you can replicate them pretty easily. That was Bob Ross's style. But, I mean, just kind of the persona that he's built up, the icon, I guess, the art icon that you you could call him, over the years, you know, a cultural icon as well, they hold so much more significance. And I would love to have one in my living room and say, hey, that's a Bob Ross right there. You know, it, it's so cool. And, yeah. But you spoke to some art appraisers. They said that maybe the true value of one of these is probably about $2,000 to $4,000. But considering all that stuff that we've been talking about, right, that's what bumps up that price to $10,000 to $18,000. So the one that they have, at you, as that you said, for $94,000 at auction. It's a supply and demand thing. Art appraisals are based on many factors, but Bob Ross paintings, I think of them kind of like diamonds. Like there's tons of them out there, but there's kind of this artificial scarcity created by people holding on to them for a long time and Bob Ross Inc. holding their trove as well. So this kind of shortage on the market causes the prices to just absolutely explode. And another appraiser told me they don't necessarily think of Bob Ross as a strictly fine art. They're kind of entertainment memorabilia. So you're also kind of paying for the fact that Bob Ross is on television. Right. And he was a public persona. And I actually talked to one collector who owns Picasso's and other famous artworks. And she actually told me she considered her Bob Ross to be kind of the crown jewel of her collection. <laughs> she gets more comments from her dinner guests on the Bob Ross than she does on her yeah. other paintings. And for her, it was all just about the painting have a really good backstory. And I think there's just a, a general fascination with Bob Ross and he's kind of this permanent cultural icon, that's yeah. an immortal force in our culture. Zach Crockett, senior writer at the hustle. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks. Appreciate it.
That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.